The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. And I'm joined now for the Thursday interview by Dermot Whedon. Dermot, how are you? I'm good, Kieran. How are you doing? I'm not too bad. Uh, thanks a million for making the long trip down the stairs. <laughs> well, thank you for <laughs> down, having down me. Down that entire flight And for arranging a taxi. It was completely <laughs> yeah. unnecessary. Um, I understand we are like two ships passing in the night. We're both briefly in our 40s. Yeah, so are you heading towards... I am. I turned 40 two weeks ago. Oh, right. You're at the good end. Yeah, <laughs> yes. You're, yes. You're I'm, just You're just about to be exited, expelled out of the 40s. Yes, I'm leaving the swimming pool of the 40s. I'm about to just step into that Veruca pool and leave and head for the dressing room. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, does a big roundy birthday like that mean anything to you? Um, I, I guess yes and no. You have the... I guess the automatic thinking is oh crap, I'm nearly 50. Because mm. um, you start to sort of go, okay, when you go through the checklist of well, what have I achieved? Have I, what have I, have I made something of myself? And then there's the kind of, ah no, just calm down. You know, it's only a, a, an age, it's a number. And I guess, you know, not to sound, you know, sort of trite about it, but I, I'm really glad I'm alive, mm. you know. And I think 50 years on planet Earth is a success. Because um, I have friends who didn't make it to 50. Mm. So, you know, I think that's the way we look at it. Just um, be ap- very appreciative that we're still here no matter what age we are. Do You know, like, um, I'm kind of, I'm not really great at contemplating my own mortality. So I kind of still firmly believe I have more years ahead of me than behind me. And I, I think I can convince myself of that reality mm. probably until I'm about your age. <laughs> yeah, you, Sorry, you, you start you know doing I mean? the maths. And yeah. you're like, but then you just more, start, more in the rear view mirror than you, through the windscreen. Well, you just push the envelope and you think, no, I'm going to be one of those people that's sort of interviewed on, you know, daytime television. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, live from the nursing home with my hundred candles. You know, so <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, or, you know, I'll be celebrated for doing some 5K walk at age 101 or something. Up and down your garden. Yeah. There'll be another pandemic by then. You could be <laughs> yeah. the next Major Tom or whatever he was called. Yeah, we'll just be the outliers, I think. But yeah, I... You know, in a few years, you will just be moving the goalposts again. Mm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's do, what happens. Yeah, but do you? Yeah, that that's not something that you don't get a sense of kind of of a of a clock ticking. That uh, there is mo- that you have lived more of your life than you will live. I think so, but I think having a crap memory helps because I don't remember a huge amount of say my twenties or third. I remember sort of vague. I know things happened, but I'm not one of those people who remembers things in great detail. Like, God, do you remember that day in July and, you know, 1990 when we drove? No, I don't. I don't remember anything. <laughs> so I'm I'm quite focused in the now um, and I, tr- I try to be. And I, I'm not the type of person who tends to look back at a huge amount. I don't have a great sense of nostalgia for the past. Mm. I'm always... Um, excited to be looking ahead um, regardless so yeah I think I'm okay with it Were you always like that? I think so yeah I think I, I think I was I always had I have friends who are you know quite nostalgic about the past and you know wouldn't it be great to be back in this time or that time I, I don't think I've ever really been like that I'm always kind of excited I get bored easily you know so I'm, I'm very much into trying new things so yeah. you know that kind of keeps you in the present if you if you something that you're a little bit nervous about because you haven't done it before or you're not sure if you're good at it that mm. will tend to ground you in the now yeah you know your mother passed away relatively recently yeah. I mean did, did that cause any kind of wallowing in nostalgia 
Um, it definitely, it definitely is the the rug being pulled out from under you. You know, our mm. moms are our moms, our mammies are our mammies, and my dad died twenty years ago, so this was my second parent to go. And I don't think, I think when you're younger, you think, well, sure, when you're, you know. When you're in your 40s or 50s, your parents die. It's just grand because you're expecting it. Yeah. You know, and it doesn't, it's a bit of a cliche, but it doesn't matter what age you are. You know, your mammy leaving you, even if you weren't seeing her every day of the week, psychologically, it's a blow. You do feel like, and I was quite surprised by that in terms of the nature of grief, because I I guess I'm lucky in that it's been a while since I've been exposed to it. I'm a bit older, a bit more aware of, of how I feel these days. And... I was quite taken aback by the, just the nature of grief in terms of, it's not just missing somebody. Grief isn't just like, oh, I wish they were here. Mm. Yes, that's a big element of it. But you feel it has physical, you know, um, ripples. You know, I, I, I found myself being quite anxious for a few weeks. My sleep was was disturbed. Um, and and your, I guess your whole sense of self gets gets rocked a little bit because... The mortality side of it, as you ask, um, it does come glaringly into view, whether you're aware of it or not, mm. in terms that when your parents go, you're kind of next in line, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. You're, the, you're the next ones. It, it kind of reminds me of the escalator to nowhere in The Simpsons. Uh, do you remember where they would just go up and fall <laughs> off the end? Yeah. You're kind of next on the escalator, you know? Um, and... It, it does rock you a little bit and, and grief affects your nervous system and it's all kinds of psychological um, sort of turbulence going on underneath the surface that it took me, it's taken me a few weeks to kind of be okay or be at peace with um, and sort of be able to look at with curiosity and, and empathy as opposed mm. to getting caught up in the whole sense of, of you know, existential dread and obviously missing my mom, you know. Your mum had dementia, is that? Yeah. Right, because you know sometimes people when they experience that in their family, um, they talk about maybe kind of a dual sense of loss. There's an initial loss of the person and then, you know, the individual mm. um, and the identity and then and then ultimately death afterwards. And I'm not sure, is that something that you experienced? Did, did Had you gone through a grieving process for your mother uh, because of the dementia? Yeah, great question. I think so. And certainly while she had dementia and was still here, I was aware that I was losing her and that I was, every time I went to visit her, I was slowly saying goodbye. Um, and I, I guess I was surprised that when she did eventually go, how how strongly it hit me. Because I, I thought I'd kind of yes. done my homework almost, you know, yeah. but, and that the exam would be would be a bit easier but it 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 really rocked me i don't think it um it i guess it's just a tough journey anyone living with someone they love who has dementia is going through all kinds of emotions you know all the time and you know i used to leave my mom sometime feeling quite uplifted if she was in good form and getting that sense of just being with your mom you know which is lovely mm. and sometimes i get into my car and cry because it was just all so weird and hard and she didn't know who I was. And, you know, so it, 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 I guess I would I learned to sort of just stand back and, and let whatever emotions wanted to come through, come through, you know. And I was very lucky that when she died, I happened to be with her. You know, I have lots of wonderful siblings and 
we were all coming and going and supporting each other. But just it so happened that at that moment when she was ready to to leave us, I was with her, and it was yeah. a really beautiful experience. Which sounds you know yeah weird. Um, and maybe a little bit Oprah, but it really was. And it reminded me of watching my kids come into the world. You know, it's, it's, it is, death is a beautiful experience in not, in not all circumstances, but I think there can be beauty in there, you know, and I, I was lucky that I was able to be with her and she was ready to go and she'd lived a full life and the dementia only came in her last few years, you know, she was well into her 80s. So mm. there were lots of positives, you know, and, and in terms of good deaths, I guess it was one of those. But to be with someone as they, you know, pass on to whatever's after this is is a really powerful, sometimes traumatic at the same time, but mm. powerful experience. You, you, you said a few minutes ago, kind of in, in terms of your processing of all of this you, you made a remark you said I'm, I'm maybe more honest about my emotions or how I feel about things th- than I used to be and I'm kind of paraphrasing mm. but I, guess, I think aware of my emotions aware of yeah. your emotions is, is that is that as a result of the meditation and the mindfulness is that what you're talking about yeah I would say so yeah. um, obviously age helps you get a bit of perspective and you're yeah. a bit more self-awareness anyway but Definitely meditation in its, by its very nature trains you over a long period of time to have that awareness and that ability to detach from uh, from being caught up in whatever emotional turmoil happens to be real for you at that particular time. So, um, you know, I, I was able to, I guess I use the term curiosity, I'm able to look on myself under times of pressure with a little bit of curiosity and detachment to go, okay, this is what we're experiencing. That's interesting. Mm. You know, it doesn't mean it doesn't hurt or isn't painful or whatever, you know, isn't real at the time. But you, I, I don't tend to get so caught up in it all the time, you know. I mean, meditation isn't a magic wand. I do say that. It doesn't remove, you know, the, the intensity of of real emotions. It, it doesn't remove, you know, f- completely. It doesn't make you numb to stuff. It doesn't allow you to sort of magically surf above um, you know, the waves that maybe you do need to experience. But it it can allow you that sense of just enough awareness that you're not caught up in everything, that you can step back from yourself and go, okay, this is what you're experiencing. Mm. You know, you don't have to act on what you're experiencing, right, or what you're feeling. You know, it, it does give you that sense of... Um, I guess that, you know, a little bit of freedom from your emotions a little bit, that you're yeah. not fully engaged with them all the time. And certainly around times, say, of bereavement or grief or that, it really does help. Um, again, it doesn't mean that you don't feel stuff, but it does. It allows you to have real empathy for yourself in the moment, which is, you know, particularly powerful. Did, did it take you a lot of work or a long time to get to that point where you could make an honest appraisal of yourself? And your own emotions. We're not all great judges of our own character. Yeah, it does. Because what what meditation does is that it lessens or turns down the volume on that voice that's beating the crap out of you. And once you've taken a large part of that out of the equation, you can you then have the space and room to actually witness what's going on for you and actually see behavioral patterns or thought patterns that maybe aren't particularly helpful. But most of us spend a lot of the time just kicking ourselves up the behind yeah. repeatedly, yeah. you know, and we may not even be aware because sometimes it's cloaked in 
in a sense of, um, you know, get up and go and, and push Self-improvement. Yeah. This and, time of year. Big, yeah, big, big time exactly. of year for self-improvement. And, and certainly, you know, when I was growing up, giving out to yourself in the third person was seen as a kind of badge of honour. Like, you know, you were holding yourself to account, you mm. know. And I, I always say, if you want to see this in action, join someone on a golf course or a tennis court or usually any sporting environment. Yes. Uh, particularly a solo sport, though. Yes. You know? And you'll hear like people you're playing with your friend Barry and he's like, he hasn't played golf in three months. His handicap is like 28 and he's given out to himself like he should be winning the Masters, but always in the third person. Oh, Barry, you idiot. And I used to do that, you know, oh, Dermot, what are you thinking, you fool? You know, and that's fine. You know, there's a, <laughs> there's a, there's a quote, actually. I, I'd love to be quoting some ancient writer from, you know, the Bhagavad Gita yeah. or, you know, some ancient spiritual text. But I'm going to quote Iron Man. Oh, go for it's, it. It's yeah. Robert Downey Jr. in an interview. Um, I think it was with Joe Rogan. And he says, um, being self-critical is great until it bleeds out into the world around you and, and affects everybody else. Mm. You know, so we can be, it, it is, it's helpful to kind of be a little bit critical of yourself. You know, that's important to sort of, you know, keep yourself moving forward and help your ambitions move in the right direction. But once it starts to, you know, bleed out into everyone and everything around you, and now, you know, because you're sick of beating yourself up, you now start picking at everybody else. Yeah. That can be an issue, you know. What was that when you mentioned, I had to laugh. Have you read the Harry book, Prince Harry's book, Spare? No, I haven't, so, but I feel like I have. He, he, there's a, <laughs> but that, one of the funniest moments in it, and unintentionally funny, but he's talking about the Faulkner quote, um, you know, about the past isn't ever behind it, it's never, it's not even past or whatever, you know, it's about kind of dealing with, I suppose, trauma and things is what he's getting at. And and as Harry introduces it, you know, in this kind of you know, Harry voice, you're, you're mm. imagining him in you know, Buckingham Palace, or Kensington Palace, KP as he calls it, <laughs> you know, in some dusty library, you know, reading. And uh, uh, and then his next line, he goes, when, when I came across that on brainyquote.com, <laughs> That's what he says. No. Yeah, he was just looking for clever things to put on his book and brainy quote. Uh, I mean, and he, then we he put would it in the book. That, but yeah, don't, but don't tell, put it in the book. Tell everyone you have brainy quote. <laughs> Top ten great quotes. Dot net. Yeah, yeah uh, uh, that's yeah, that's the entire chapter. Um, <laughs> anyway, sorry, we uh, we digressed. So mm. listen, um, I know there's a there's a tour coming up 29th that's when it starts yeah it's 29th in the Helix is the first date there's a few tickets uh, available have just become available for that so if people want to go but it's going all around the country I'm going up into Belfast and I'm going to Killarney it's an international tour. Wexford Opera House it is technically getting, it's going up we're trouble yeah. for that now <laughs> <laughs> yeah some people won't like that um, but yeah I'm very excited actually about going to Belfast it's a long time since I've done a show yeah. up there and um, but you know the show is a mixture of comedy and meditation it is comedy meets meditation which sounds kind of uh, people. Uh, I usually get a kind of sort of a, a furrow, furrowed brow and then how does that work yes so in a nutshell it's part stand up part funny TED talk part practical techniques mm. and I have a chocolate meditation in there as well okay nice um, yeah so you know, I'm a big believer in making this stuff accessible to people. And these are scientifically proven techniques. I talk about the science and, you know, techniques for de-stressing you, for, I guess, what we were talking about, for helping you to turn down that inner critical voice, for helping you to get some sense of awareness about your emotions and maybe the ways that you're thinking. Um, and, you know, we do it in a fun environment and it's funny and it's a safe environment. And particularly for blokes, we are slower to gravitate towards this stuff. Well, people are worried that Dermot Whelan's 
tour is going to be a lot of namaste and candles. Exactly. You'll come out in a flowing robe. I will. It will leave little to the imagination. Everyone gets a dream catcher. (laughs) (laughs) But like, Kieran, I'm glad you said that because this is exactly the reason why I wrote my book, Mindful, because I couldn't find a book that I could relate to when I wanted to get into this stuff. Um, I found any wellness or spiritual, in inverted commas, event that I went to was 99% women and it was marketed towards women and the language was very feminine and it was angels and these kinds of things and that's that's not particularly inclusive for a lot of people and sometimes I think the wellness world can unknowingly exclude people from mm. it and it should be the opposite so you know the goal with the book and the tour and these live shows is is to make this stuff accessible so if you're a lad who drives a digger for a living or you're a you know a busy mom or you're a high flying executive or you're a student or you're doing your leave insert you know this these techniques should be available to everybody you know why is it just Johnny Sexton yeah. or, or a, a monk or a, a you know a yogi in a cave who who's able to learn about his nervous system so he doesn't roar at someone in traffic unnecessarily you know or, yeah, it's, or, or sleep a bit better it's one of the things that struck me about the book your book and I was reminded when I read it about uh, there was a great interview and I I, w- I won't call him out on national radio of uh, Kenny Hurler and he was he was being interviewed a few years ago. This is back, say, the, the good team. So about 15, 20 years ago, whatever. <laughs> He'll be killed and, for saying um, that, the good team. He, um, <laughs> he, 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 was, he was deriding kind of sports psychology. He was mm. like, ah, I, don't, I, w- I wouldn't go in for all of that and that kind of nonsense now whatsoever. And then within about 20 seconds, he was asked about match day traditions. And he goes, well, I have to pack my bag in the exact same order for every match. Everything goes in in the exact same order. Yeah. I was like, this, this, like, talk about a lack of self-awareness. This fellow thinks that they will lose the match if everything doesn't go in. But yet the idea that you would, you know, there's any mental preparation or mental aspect to the game, yeah. he, he says is nonsense. But it, what, what, what reminded me of it was just, I, I suppose, that idea that, um, that, that mental peace and preparation and well-being that it, it kind of permeates everything and we think of it sometimes those lads we're talking about they they imagine the meditation as being as being kind of a separate entity something you you have to kind of dress up in the flowing robes for and light the candles mm. for and what struck me in your book is just how how you can incorporate it into so many of the things that you're just doing on a day-to-day basis you do in the car you can do it in the radio studio you can do it on the golf course to stop deriding yeah. yourself. Because there isn't that much to it. And, and again, it, it's really important that we demystify this stuff and strip away the jargon and the, and the thoughts that you have to suddenly study it or do a course or go to India. or Like all we're trying to do in, with any of these techniques, essentially, is keep ourselves in the present moment. Now, why is that important? Because if we're in the present moment, we're not in the future worrying about the stuff that might happen. And we're not in the past worrying about the stuff that did happen. We're in that moment. And when you're in that moment, it's it's pretty much impossible to be anxious. You know, and we spend a lot of our days with our minds bouncing around from the past to the future, mm. past to the future, which means we're not, we're not fully present. What does that mean in, in sort of real terms? Okay, if anyone's a parent listening, have you ever had those times when you come through the front door Half your brain is still in work. Yeah. You know, maybe you're working at a job that has different time zones, so you literally are still in work. And your kids are coming up and they're asking you questions and they're, oh, daddy, the Wi-Fi is not working. Or, (laughs) you know, can you help me with my homework or whatever it is? And you're there, but you're not there. Yes. You know, 
um, and you're like, yeah, yeah, in a second. And then you're sort of fantasizing about if I just get, if I'd love to just flop down and watch something on Netflix. And then you get into bed and the brain is still busy and you're starting to go, oh God, I've got that thing tomorrow and I don't want to have to call your man. And then you fall asleep and maybe you have a kind of a crappy sleep and then it starts all over again. Like, at what point in the day do we allow ourselves to yeah. actually go? I'm guilty of that now. I would often not be present when I'm present. Yeah, and but During so the week, is everybody. Monday to Friday. And there are times when I feel like that. I'm not mm-hmm. walking around in some state of bliss the whole time. But what I did learn was that, you know, our nervous system and our brain does respond to prompts. You know, so, if, for instance, very small technique. If you're, you're, the car pulls up outside the house, you're about to go inside, you're still thinking a little bit about work or emails you didn't get to send or whatever it happens to be. And instead of just going through the door and beginning to be sort of there for the rest of the evening, before you turn the key in the front door, before you even get out of the car, if you put your hand on your belly and you breathe in through your nose and you've inflated your belly and you held it there for a moment and then you let it go and you did that for about a minute, you are turning off that stress response, that little inner smoke alarm that has you feeling agitated and feeling like you should be doing something. Mm. And you turn it off just long enough to hit the reset button. So when you go through the door, naturally now, you have more access to parts of your brain that you didn't have access to because your stress response was activated. And those parts of your brain often are responsible for empathy and for your ability to be able to listen and your, your, your ability to put yourself in someone else's shoes and your ability um, to laugh uh, and think creatively and play. And these are all parts of our brain that aren't accessible to us if we're in a stress state, whether we're aware of it or not. So sometimes these little techniques. And I point to Johnny Sexton as an example because you're going to see him at the Six Nations and he will be, first thing before he does, take that penalty kick. Mm. He's going to take a big deep breath through his nose. (sighs) Long exhale. And that's exactly what he's doing. He's getting out of the past. What just happened to him, some lad who weighed 20 stone just clattered him. (laughs) He's trying to remove that from his thoughts. He's trying to remove himself from the thoughts of, oh my God, what will happen if I miss this? Oh my God, the pressure. And he's bringing himself into the present moment. And that's where we're effective. And that's what we can do. And that's what this show is trying to help people do through laughter. Well, listen, I think that's a a nice point to wrap things up because there'll be people on their way home from work listening to this. And maybe they are pulling into the driveway and they can do this. They can put this into practice right now before they walk in the front door. Before Absolutely. they turn off the radio, where can they find out about the tour? DermotWhelan.com forward slash tour. Dermot, an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for joining Thanks us. Thanks so much, Kieran. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.